can't be said too often that it's good to be in the house of the Lord. I'd like to sing, this is the day that the Lord has made, or agree with the psalmist who said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He was glad because he had good times there. I trust that'll be our experience this morning too. Let's just bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which you've given us. We thank you what it, that it speaks to us so clearly. And we pray, Lord, that you will open your word to us as we meditate on it together. Amen. I think uh, Vern was a bit surprised when several weeks ago he asked me if I'd consider speaking on August the 8th. Well, that was a long time away, but I think the surprise came when I said yes immediately because I'd been thinking about a few things and I thought I could possibly group them all together and make a sermon out of it. And... Uh, You'll remember that almost four years ago, I invited you all to the golf course to celebrate my 80th birthday. That was almost four years ago. So uh, you know where my thinking gets. You know, I start planning for the future. And uh, God has been very good to me in the years that I've been able to spend here in, in Killarney. But it's also, I noticed that as I plan for the future, I find that my values change. My future, like yours, involves a certain definite time when I'll leave this earth and move on to a better place. As I look forward to this, I find myself thinking about the details of our future. So this morning I want to review with you some of the things that we know for sure about heaven. So join me in looking at some of the things that the Bible says about heaven. Oh, and I said the topic would be our future. Well, I can predict fairly accurately that in about a hundred years, all of us will be dead. <laughs> if Jesus doesn't come before noon. And uh, uh, you say, well, thanks a lot. I was hoping to get something encouraging this morning. Well, I hope by the time I'm finished that I possibly will have some encouraging words. So let's talk about heaven. What will heaven, where is heaven, first of all? Heaven is a real place. It's as real, it's not just an imagination, it's as real as Killarney or Brandon, Winnipeg or this church building. Heaven is a real place. Not somewhere where we'll just float around, somewhere in our spirits, but it's a real place where we will be, okay? The Bible speaks about three heavens. The Apostle Paul spoke about going into the third heaven. You see, the, the first heaven is uh, the atmosphere around us, the sky where the birds and airplanes fly, etc. And then the second heaven is a severe of all the stars and the galaxies, etc. And then the third heaven, that's where God lives. And uh, Paul speaks about being taken into the third heaven. Now, the exact location would have to be up because when Jesus was taken from his disciples, he went up into heaven. And uh, when uh, Elijah went to heaven in his chariot, he went up. Now, of course, we may have a bit of problem with our Chinese friends. When we ask them where's heaven, they'd say it's up because they live on the other side of the world. But uh, I don't think we'll get too technical about that. I hope when the time comes for us to go there, he'll send us his angels to guide us. But anyhow, uh, the most important source we have are the words of Jesus himself. On the night before he died, when he spoke to his disciples, these are the words of a man who knew that he was about to die. 
When my grandfather was on his deathbed, he wanted to speak to each of us grandchildren. Although I was a young preteen at the time, he spoke to each one of us, and the adults stood around and watched as he spoke because they knew these were the last words of Grandpa to his grandchildren. These are serious words of a person who's about to die. And so when Jesus was about to die, these are some of the last instructions that he gave them. And uh, his final command comments to his disciples were, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Twice in these three verses, Jesus speaks about heaven and calls it a place. He means that heaven, which he referred to as my father's house, is a real place. As real as anything that we call real out here. It's a real place. And the place is just as real as the place you call home. It's a place filled with real people, which is why the Bible sometimes compares heaven to a mansion with many rooms and sometimes to an enormous city teeming with people in Revelation 21 and 22. And the Bible also tells us that heaven is the dwelling place of God. His throne is there. The angels are there. The Lord Jesus Christ is there. In Philippians, we read that our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus told the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. So heaven is not that far away. What's heaven like? Well, of course, you don't expect to give me to give you an exhaustive discussion of this. I can just touch on a few things. There's way too much here. The Bible doesn't give us a great deal of direct details of information. What we have are images and pictures of heaven that we can compare to what we're familiar with here on earth. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says, the verse that we read for a call to worship, eye has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. In plain words, you just can't imagine. I appreciate Caden's choice of that number, which I suggested for him, because he says, I can only imagine. And we could go one further. We just can't imagine what it's really going to be like. Well, what do we know about heaven? Here are some biblical facts. Heaven is God's dwelling place, as we read in the Psalms. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. Heaven is where God, where Christ is today. In Acts 11, the, uh, as Jesus was going into heaven, two men stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, why stand you there gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus as, will come again as you have seen him go. Heaven is the Father's house. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you the verse that I just read. And he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back 
and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way, and you know, you know the place and the way where I'm going. Heaven is a, is a city designed and built by God. And in Hebrews you read, instead they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their father, for he has prepared a city for him. I shouldn't de deviate here, but I think of a lot of architectures we've seen when you travel to England and you see the Parliament buildings and you see Buckingham Palace. It's designed by somebody who had a great imagination and the ability to put it into place and a wonderful craftsman to build these things. And when we think that God is going to be the architect, I can't imagine, but I'd like to. Heaven is paradise, like Jesus said to the thief on the cross. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, most of us have heard that heaven is a place where the streets are paved with gold and the gates are made of pearl and the walls are made of precious stones. These images come from Revelation chapter 21 and 22, which offers us the most extended picture of the new Jerusalem in the entire Bible. Are these lit literally true? And the answer is yes and no. Yes, they are literally true, but no, they won't have anything like we imagine. It's going to be much grander than that. Dr. David Lange tells the story of a rich man who in his deathbed negotiated with God to allow him to bring his earthly treasures with him when he came to heaven. God's reaction was that this was a most unusual request, but since the man had been uh, exceptionally faithful, permission was granted. And the time came and he arrived at the pearly gates and uh, carrying this suitcase, which was so heavy he had to carry it with both hands. And uh, Peter says, sorry, you know the rules. You can't take it with you. But the man protested. God said I could. One suitcase. So Peter checked and found that this was true. Well, I guess I'll have to let you in. Uh, but uh, first of all, I have to check the contents of your suitcase. And so the man opened it up, and it was filled with bars of gold. And Peter looked at it, and he said quizzically, you brought pavement? When Jesus, or when John writes about the streets paved with gold, he simply reports what he saw in his vision. So his words are literally true. They are all meant to tell us that the things we value here in this life will be used to pave the streets of that heavenly city, a city built by God. Heaven is a real place with real people, and the pictures uh, of this great city, uh, is, which is filled with real people, well, Let's imagine just a little bit. I'll use my imagination, which is limited. What would such a city look like? Well, no pollution, because the skies would always be crystal clear. No crime or violence. No criminals would ever get in. No greedy politicians. No drug pushers. No child molesters. And we'd say no COVID-19. Uh, no potholes. No power outages, 
And that's just looking at it from what we know about our life out here. But heaven is something that God is. We can only imagine that it would be filled with abundant parks, rivers, rolling meadows, floating streams, or flowing streams, streets lined with flowers that are in constant bloom, trees that are bringing their fruit every every month, and uh, there would be no uh, weeds, there would be no pestilence, there would be no um, negative things, and everything would be perfect. And uh, that's a word that I try not to use too often because some things have to be perfect. I had a, I had a neighbor in Brandon who was a perfectionist and his house was built but when it was finished it wasn't quite right and so after he moved in he tore out the ceiling and redid the rafters because they were not quite thick enough for the insulation etc he wanted it perfect and I always said to myself well I'm leaving that for heaven I'm not going to have that here on earth but anyhow we can only imagine on every hand we can imagine that there'd be children laughing bright conversations Music flowing from every direction. This is my limited imagination. We can only imagine. The Bible tells us in the city that God built, God builds, there are no tears, there is no sorrow, there is no regret, there is no remorse. Bitterness is gone forever. Failures are left far behind. Suffering has been rewarded. And we can only imagine there'd be no eyeglasses, There'd be no bald heads. There'd be, we can only imagine. <laughs> and uh, there'd be no hearing aids, no crutches, no more hospitals, no nursing homes, no paramedics, no CPRs. Doctors would have to find a new job. They're not needed there anymore. Aspirin is gone. Accidents are over. Cancer has disappeared. Uh, We'd have to uh, find a new job for those who are working in the medical field. They aren't needed. And not, ev not even a memory of them. In heaven, no one gets old or feeble. Now, there are other things you won't find in heaven. There are no cemeteries. In God's city that he builds, there are no funerals. In fact, we will be incapable of dying. And when we make that into that city, we will live forever, never to die again. Like Jesus, after he rose from the dead, his body did not have the ability to ever die again. So either we believe in heaven or we don't. It's either a real place or it isn't. This is heaven, where our best dreams finally come true. Well... Who is in heaven right now? Well, the question isn't difficult to answer. God is in heaven because heaven is his dwelling place. The Lord Jesus has been in heaven ever since he ascended and went back up into heaven after his resurrection. And the Bible tells us that the angels are in heaven. In fact, there are myriads of angels, incountable numbers of heavenly beings, all of them serving the Lord in various ways. And the saints of God who have died, 
are in heaven. Everyone who has genuinely trusted Christ as Lord and Savior will be there. I also believe that children who died before the age of accountability will go to heaven. And I would also include those born with such mental limitations that they cannot understand the gospel will be there. And the Bible teaches that the moment we die, we go directly into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus was dying on the cross, he said to the one who just said, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Today you will be with me in paradise. Several years ago, an older friend asked me, where are our loved ones who have just died after they die? I couldn't give him a conclusive answer right then. Sometimes the scriptures are so clear we just don't get it. Jesus' own words are, today you will be in paradise with me. Now that says a lot. That means that those who have died are with Jesus in an absolutely pure and sinless state. Why do I say that? Well, when Jesus died on the cross, he took upon himself the sins of the whole world. And God turned his face away because he could not look upon sin. Will he take us to heaven with all of our sins? I don't think so. <laughs> Anyhow. But uh, I don't want to be ambiguous about this. Not everyone does go to heaven. Some people won't make it. The Bible speaks of the saved and the lost. The saved are those who trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. The lost are those who do not trust Christ as Savior. This is the great dividing line of all humanity. You're either saved or you're lost. There is no middle category. That's, you'll either spend eternity in heaven or in hell. A minister tells of a phone call after he'd preached a message on heaven and hell. The, the caller said, last night a man called me to talk about the moral crisis in our currently, that are currently engulfing our community. You're on record, he says, as saying you don't believe that people who disagree with you will go to hell. That's right, he said. My job is not to decide who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. That's God's job. I'm in sales, not administration. God has spoken about all who will go to heaven. The saved of all the ages will be there. And that vast throng will no doubt include many people who would surprise us if we knew it now. Certainly, heaven will be more wonderful than our imagination and its population is going to be more diverse than anything we, can ex we expect now. But I'm sure of this one truth. No one is going to go to heaven except by the grace of God and through the merits of the blood of Jesus Christ. If a man says no to Jesus, he has no hope of heaven. Will we know each other in heaven? This is one of the most frequently asked questions about heaven. Outstanding ministers in the past have said, we may be sure that we shall not know less in heaven than we know now. In proof, we read in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 12, Now we see in, par, in a poor reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. How does God know us? He knows us completely, intimately, thoroughly, inside and out, with nothing hidden and everything seen as it really is. In Psalm 139, we are told when we get to heaven, we'll know each other as God knows us. 
because all the imperfections of this life will be removed. In this life, sin causes us to cover ourselves, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. But when sin is finally lifted off, then we can be ourselves with no shame, no pain, no embarrassment, no covering up. In heaven, we will know every person in heaven and all of them will be friends and loved ones to us. In this very helpful book about heaven, uh, W.A. Criswell makes the additional point. And uh, I don't find this directly in scripture, but uh, it's worthwhile talking about. Uh, he said that individual personality survives in eternity. Therefore, I'll be the same person that I'm now, only with all the imperfections and limitations finally removed. So this is a wonderful thought that the essence of who we will be will remain throughout eternity, yet greatly improved by the grace of God. People sometimes ask, how old will we be in heaven? Now the truth is, there won't be any age in heaven, in the sense that we speak of age here on earth. Growing old is a thing of the decaying effects of sin. I don't think that babies who die in infancy will be babies for eternity, nor do I believe that people who waste away of cancer will be emaciated in heaven. It will be something else entirely, which I cannot explain, and certainly I don't understand, but we'll leave that one to God. In heaven, we will know each other intimately. And that's why Peter, James, and John recognized Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. Even though Moses and Elijah had been dead for hundreds of years, they knew who these people were. I don't think they were wearing, wearing main ta name tags, so they, they just knew who these people were. So I think there was something about these two men that made Peter and James and John recognize them, even though they had never seen them before. What will we do in heaven? When I was teaching at Crocus Plains High School, one of my trusted colleagues said to me, Reuben, do you know what they're saying about you? They're saying, isn't he going to be lonesome someday, sitting on a rock, playing a harp? implying I was facing a dismal, boring future in eternity. Satan would have people think that heaven will be boring. Some would even go as far as to suggest that going to the other place will be much more fun. They'd suggest, just imagine, unending card games with their friends, surrounded by prostitutes forever. The truth is, as we've read of the rich man and Lazarus, there will be no friends. There will be no fun games. In fact, Jesus describes the afterlife of those who have not accepted him, as the story of rich man Lazarus tells us, that the rich man was alone. He was tormented. He was thirsty. He didn't want his brothers to come there ever. And the Bible doesn't tell us everything we would like to know. If you see TV ads, you'll likely have seen the angels sitting on a cloud and a conversation speaking to another angel sitting on another cloud and saying, oh, uh, you're new here. They're sitting on a cloud with nothing important to do other than the advertised product, of course. And heaven won't be boring. It will be more fun than the best party you've ever had. So, what then will we do for eternity? The answer is, we're going to work. Helping God run the universe. When God created this world, he looked over the finished product and God's comment 
about his finished product of creation was, it was very good. But remember that this was before the fall, before they fell into sin. Work is not a curse. Just imagine doing something that you enjoy without tiring. Work became part of the curse only after the fall when it involved keeping weeds under control, fighting plant disease, removing dead fall among trees and flowers, tedious repetitive work which must be done whether we like it or not. That kind of work is not going to be there. Do you remember the story that Jesus told about the man of noble birth who gave his servants money to invest? One servant doubled his money and the Lord said, you will rule over 10 cities. The next servant had seen a 50% increase and so his master said, rule over five cities. And then the one who had just hid his money had, had that taken from him. The story is in Luke chapter 19. So this story is a picture of what heaven will be like. We will use our gifts to administer the new heaven and the new earth. It's quite possible that bakers will bake and teachers will teach and singers will sing and I suppose preachers will preach. Think of the flowers the botanist will study, the gifted astronomers will go from galaxy to galaxy studying the wonders of God's creation. I can guarantee you this, no one will be sitting around on a cloud eating grapes and polishing their halo. No, we'll all be too busy for that. Here are five things that will occupy us in heaven. We will worship without distraction. We will serve without exhaustion. We will fellowship without fear. We will learn without fatigue. We will rest without boredom. The best part of heaven will be seeing Jesus himself face to face. We will worship the Son of God and celebrate his great victory over sin while the endless ages of eternity rule by us. The, music, the best music you've ever heard here on earth will pale in comparison to the music that we're going to have in heaven. The most awesome worship we've ever experienced here on earth is but a dim reflection of the praise that we will render before the throne of God. The God who created this earth made every leaf of a tree differ from every other leaf, every snowflake differ from every other snowflake. Would such a God take us to be with him forever just to have us doing boring things? Being the youngest in our family, I was often the recipient of tricks played on me by taking advantage of my innocent trust, like giving me a leaf and saying, I'll give you a quarter if you can tear it exactly in half. And so I would carefully tear the leaf in half and I would present it for examination. And the one who was giving me this challenge would tear one half and give it back to me. That was a quarter. Of course, I was tricked because I was thinking a quarter of a dollar and this person was thinking of a quarter of a leaf. Would God do such a thing to us? Never. Wasn't Satan using that same trick when he said to Eve in the garden, you will not surely die? She died. And we will all die if Jesus doesn't come before that. When God makes a promise, we can be sure that he will do what he promised. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, we can be sure it will be something beyond our imagination and we'll just be in awe when we get there. How can I be sure I'm going to heaven? Ruth Ann Metzger, a professional singer, tells of the importance of having your name in the book. 
Ruth was invited to sing at a wedding, very posh. Quite the event, plus a reception to follow at the top floors of the Columbia Tower, the tallest building in the Northwest. Ruth couldn't help but think about all the fun and the joy they'd have to be at that reception. And after the wedding, they drove to the tower uh, and the tuxedo-clad maitre d' was introducing everyone, offering them uh, hors d'oeuvres and exotic drinks of, to all the guests. And as the bride and groom approached, the uh, glass, uh, brass and glass staircase had a ribbon across which somebody cut and then the bride and groom marked, marched up the staircase, followed by the guests. At the top of the staircase, the maitre d' says, could I have your name, please? Uh, and Ruth said, I'm Ruth Ann Metzger. And this is my husband, Roy. So he searched the M's. I'm not finding it, he said. Would you spell it? So Ruth spelled it out very slowly. And after searching the book solemnly, he said, I'm sorry, but your name isn't here. But there's some mistake, she said. I'm the singer I sang at the wedding. It doesn't matter who you are or what you did. Without your name, you cannot enter the banquet. So he motioned to a waiter and said, show these people to the service elevator, please. And they were ushered out of that area, past beautiful tables laden with shrimp and whole smoked salmon, magnificent carved sculpt ice sculptures, past an orchestra preparing for, to perform. They were all dressed in white tuxedos. And the waiter ushered them to the elevator and pushed G for parking garage. And after locating the car, and driving out several miles in silence, Roy reached over and put his hand on Ruth's knee and said, what happened? Well, she said, when I, the invitation arrived, I was just jammed up, busy, and never bothered to RSVP or respond. And beside, I was the singer, and surely I could go to the reception. Ruth began to cry. Not only had she missed the most lavish banquet she had ever been invited to, but also because she had a small taste of what it would be like to someday people will stand before Christ and find their names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Then they'll be put on the elevator that goes down and does not stop at the garage. When Jesus tells us about the place with many mansions, he also tells us that the invitation is still open. Danny has quoted to us in previous messages that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. This is the most important question of all. Here's a wonderful truth. God has made it easy for us to go to heaven. He did the hard part when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. He paid the price for our sins so that one day we could stand before God in heaven and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him, by me. Then he also said, I am the door. If anyone enters to me, he shall be saved. Jesus is not only the way to heaven, he is also the door to heaven. And if you want to go to heaven, you've got to go through the door marked Jesus Christ. There is no other entrance. Have you had your name recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life? If not, if not, you will be denied. Reservations are still open. Several days ago, Dr. D. James K Kennedy 
pastor of the famous Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Florida, in Lauder, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, joined other evangelists as they met with President Ronald Reagan. And at the meeting in the White House, Dr. Kennedy asked the president this question. Suppose you would die tonight and you found yourself standing in the door of heaven. If God were to say, why should I let you into heaven? What answer would you give? And before I tell you how the president answered that question, let me ask you how would you respond? Picture the scene. You're standing in that very gates of heaven. It's more beautiful than you'd ever dreamed of. This is where you want to spend eternity. This is where you belong. But before you enter, the Lord himself asks, what possible reason do you have to claim admission? You pause, knowing that all eternity hangs on your answer. What will you say? Back to the White House, the president paused, thought for a moment, and then he replied, well, I guess I'd have to answer with John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a good answer, because our only hope of heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to die tonight, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven? I've already said that this is too important to say, well, I think so, or I hope so. That's not really enough, because if you're wrong, you're going to be wrong for a long, long time. What we need is a solid ground on which to stand, and we have it in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our entire hope of heaven is wrapped up in what Jesus did when he died on the cross for our sins and for the sins of the whole world on that, and then rose again on Easter Sunday. One of our most beloved hymns, which we sang a little while ago, the tune is a little different than what we're used to, but my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And that says it all. If you want to go to heaven, you must base your hope on the solid rock of Jesus' blood and righteousness. Now, are you standing on the rock this morning? Are you wholly leaning on Jesus' name? One final word. No one goes to heaven by accident. Heaven is God's prepared place for a prepared people. We prepare for heaven, and then God prepares heaven for us. Most people want to go to heaven, and are they on the right road? Are they building their lives on Jesus Christ, the solid rock? Too many, I fear, are standing on sinking sand and don't know it. What is your hope for heaven? Mine is in Jesus Christ. I've staked everything I have on him. If he can't take me to heaven, I'm not going there. What about you? When the dark night falls, the lights go out, and the waters of death swirl around you, what will happen to you then? If you know Jesus, you have nothing to fear. Put your trust in Jesus, run to the cross, stand with your full weight on the solid rock of our Savior, and may God help us to trust in Jesus and put our faith of our salvation in him. And may God grant that we will all meet someday in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that 
Although we have a limited imagination, we know that you are now preparing a wonderful place for us. We thank you, Lord, that you've made it easy for us to just simply trust on your shed blood on the cross and trust that it is by the merits of what you have done that we'll make it, not by any deeds that we do. And so we pray, Lord, that everyone who hears this message will turn to you and accept you as their personal Lord and Savior and to follow you. And I thank you, Lord, that as we follow you, we can have the joy of looking forward to meeting you someday. Thank you, Lord, for all you have done and are doing for us. Amen.